I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? I can see it in your eyes. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth? You say you that you are a slave, Neo. Trying to understand this! 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind. It doesn't matter who we are. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. How do you define real? You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. After this, there is no turning back. Are we clear? Crystal. silence it's one of those things where when i recorded the last episode of third degree mind i never really thought that would be the last one for an entire year i didn't think i was going to record that release it and be silent for a year but here we are a year later i mean last time We were here, we were saying goodbye to the year 2020, and here we are now saying goodbye to the year 2021. Where did this year go? There's been ups and downs, I'm sure. I know there has been in in my life. But I hope that in this year of silence, your life has been filled with some positivity. I hope that you were able to focus on your relationships and on yourself. I hope that your family life has been all that you've wanted it to be. I hope that your professional life has been something that gives you purpose. You know, uh, back in 2020, the world stopped. Everyone either lost their job unexpectedly or experienced a very real fear that they might lose their job. Or at the very least, let me say this, take some serious pay cuts. You may have kept your job, but lost a good portion of your salary. I hope that 2021 has brought you more security in life. I hope that this year of silence has allowed you to grow and reflect if you used to be a frequent listener of this podcast. Maybe you spent some time listening to some of the old episodes. I don't know. 
you know, every time I say year of silence, I, I can't I can't help but think of that scene from A Knight's Tale. You know, the movie with uh, with uh, uh, Heath Ledger. <laughs> the year of silence. Jeffrey Chaucer is introducing him uh, to the crowd, introducing him as a knight, and he's kind of building him up, you know. And he mentions a year of silence, and I <laughs> every time I say it now, that's it's like an image stuck in my head. I, I I have to play it. I have to play it now. In Greece, he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound of a whisper. That's right. So just so that we are all on the same page now, if any of you asks me why we haven't been doing this program, it's because I needed to better understand the sound of a whisper. I think we're going to have to call this episode Year of Silence. I think that's... I think that's uh, uh, appropriately fitting, we'll say. So don't ask. <laughs> don't ask why Third Degree Mind spent a year in silence, or that's the answer you're going to get. All right. Anyways, um, let's see here. What, what did I want to talk about? What did I have planned here? Oh, you know, this is, this is perfect here. So... You know, in the holiday season here, I saw this Facebook post about Santa, and I wanted to share it with you. But one thing I'm going to preface this whole thing with uh, before I get into this, if there are young children around with you right now, uh, you know, I know some some folks listen to this in their car, maybe with uh, kids around sitting in the backseat playing video games, but probably listening in a little bit. One thing I wanted to tell you is if there are children around uh this is not really a kid-friendly story at least not for the younger kids Uh, older kids i think might appreciate this but the younger ones well uh let's just say i don't want to be single-handedly responsible for destroying a significant part of christmas for them uh just because they overheard a, a portion of this podcast so and of course, as you as you probably know, I have a six-year-old of my own, so I'm sensitive and I'm cautious about uh, topics such as these. So again, uh, if there are little kids around, go ahead and pause the program and come back to it later when they're not around. Uh, yeah, all right. So now that I've given you that disclaimer, let me let me share this with you. This is this is a heavy conversation between a father and his son about Santa Claus. And again, I saw this on Facebook. Listen to this. It's called The Truth About Santa. And the son asks Dad, Dad, I think I'm old enough to know now. Is there a Santa Claus? And the dad answers, Okay, I agree that you are old enough. But before I tell you, I have a question for you. You see, the truth is a dangerous gift. Once you know something, you can't unknow it. Once you know the truth about Santa Claus, you will never again understand and relate to him as you do right now. So my question for you is, are you sure that you want to know? There was a brief pause, and the boy said, yes, I want to know. 
The dad said, okay, I'll tell you. Yes, there is a Santa Claus. And the boy looked at his dad and said, really? The dad says, yes, really. But he's not an old man with a beard and a red suit. That's just what we tell kids. You see, kids are too young to understand the true nature of Santa Claus, so we explain it to them in this way that they can understand. The truth about Santa Claus is that he's not a person at all. He's an idea. Think of all those presents that Santa gave you over the years. I actually bought those myself. I watched you open them. And did it bother me that you didn't thank me? Of course not. In fact, it gave me great pleasure. You see, Santa Claus is the idea of giving for the sake of giving, without thought of thanks or acknowledgement. When I saw that woman collapse on the subway last week and I called for help, I knew that she would never know that it was me that summoned the ambulance. I was being Santa Claus when I did that. So now that you know, you're a part of it. You're a part of this secret. You have to be Santa Claus too now. That means you could never tell a kid, I'm sorry, that means you could never tell a young kid the secret. You have to help us select Santa presents for them. And most important, you have to look for opportunities to help people. Got it? I thought that was really a cool way to think about Santa and what we tell our kids about Santa Claus. I thought that was just a, a great idea of it's not just the truth of, oh, Santa isn't real. There, there is more to it. There's, it's that idea of giving without, without the expectation of thanks or acknowledgement. Because that is what the true meaning of giving is really all about. You don't give something selfishly trying to get something in return. The idea of giving is that it's a selfless act. And that's the whole point. So anyways, I read that, thought I thought I would thought I would share with you. Hopefully that can uh, brighten your day a little bit. Alright. Um Sorry, I'm slightly disorganized here. I guess I guess the year in silence kind of threw me a little bit off my mojo here. I don't even don't even have anything organized here for uh, topics that we wanted to cover here. I, I, I know I wanted to touch on owning and overcoming. So, I know this is something we've discussed on here before, but I really want to drive this point home with you guys, because I think it's so important that we learn how to own and overcome challenges. One of the easiest ways for me to illustrate what I'm talking about here is to have you think about a mistake that you made at some point in your life. Now, we all make mistakes all the time. Matter of fact, if you're kind of like me, you probably make mistakes all day, every day. Hell, if, if 
if you are like me, uh, most of the decisions you make might be mistakes. But when we talk about owning and overcoming, we're we're talking really about taking on taking on the responsibility of that mistake. That's the owning side. And then the overcoming is is part two. That's that's uh how we learn and grow from that and, and move forward from that mistake. So thinking in terms of making mistakes is probably the easiest way to understand what I'm talking about here when I say own and overcome. But it it runs deeper than that. Actually it it runs a lot deeper than that. It's it's much more complicated than just owning your mistakes. When I was first told that I had this thing called borderline personality disorder, one of the first things I learned about that condition is emotional dysregulation. It's probably one of the most common characteristics that you find among people with BPD. BPD can be very... Uh, well, varied. It can be, it can be very different and vastly different from person to person, from case to case. But one of the things that you're going to find as a, a commonality with just about anyone—I I don't want to say everyone—but a, a very large portion of people with borderline personality disorder, you're going to find this severe emotional dysregulation. And, and WebMD refers to emotional dysregulation as an emotional response that is poorly regulated and does not fall within the traditionally accepted range of emotional reaction. I'm going to read that again. Emotional dysregulation is an emotional response that is poorly regulated and does not fall within the traditionally accepted range of emotional reaction. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. In simple terms, it basically means it's an overreaction. People with BPD, especially untreated or unmanaged BPD, are often described as overdramatic. The easiest way to describe overdramatic, I think, is if you think about the teenager who falls in and out of love weekly and overreacts every time one of these flings ends. But not only that, think about the perception that it's not just a fling. This person is my soulmate. He or she was meant to be with me, and I was meant to be with them. So on Monday, meeting your soulmate, dating them for, what, a day or two, and on Wednesday... It ends in this disastrous breakup that is completely earth-shattering, and the 15- or 16-year-old drama queen claims that they simply cannot go on without this person, and by Friday they found a new person to attach themselves to, and that new person is now the real soulmate, and they've forgotten all about the person from Monday, and all this happening in this very short five-day window. And... You're probably thinking about that, and you're thinking, well, that's not uncommon for a teenager. I, I, I think we can all relate to that to some degree, that maybe we all f were like that as teenagers. If you have teenagers at home with you, they're probably like that. We can refer to that 
as emotional dysregulation, teenagers suffer from this regularly, especially in terms of these relationships and flings that they, that they go through. An example from my own personal life of this, uh, as a 17 or 18-year-old, you know, madly in love with my soulmate, we went shopping at the mall one day, and somehow we found ourselves in a jewelry store, and we looked at engagement rings. Now, mind you, prior to this, we hadn't really discussed the idea of marriage at all. I hadn't proposed. We certainly were not uh, formally engaged. We were, you know, just dating. We were serious. I mean, it as serious as any two 18-year-old lovebirds might be. I don't know. But we didn't have that engagement label. And like I said, we, we hadn't really discussed marriage or our future at all to any real degree. But no joke, here we are in a mall, in a jewelry store, looking at engagement rings. And... I'm sure you know where the story's going. Uh, <laughs> I bought one. I bought the one she liked right there, right in front of her. She knew I bought it. Again, no no proposal, no, none of that. Just went ahead and spent like, what, I think it was like $3,000 or so. Just put that on a credit card. Completely unplanned. Had no intention of doing this when we went to the mall that day. None. Then the, then the ring sat in a box for, you know, at least a year after that. She didn't wear it. We, we didn't consider ourselves to be engaged, but this was the first time where we were thinking in our minds, like, we're going to end up together because obviously we bought this ring. Obviously, she knew I had it. She was there when I bought it. She's the one that picked it out. So, you know, over time, this developed into more of a conversation about marriage and our, our future, our lives together. And my parents and my siblings, uh, other people in my life, uh, began to chime in with their two cents, you know, suggesting that we were moving too fast. She and I were too young to know what we wanted out of life. All of that. So... Well, of course, like <laughs> oh, like any rebel would do, I, I went ahead and I proposed to her. And, well, we got married at like 21 a year later, or two years later, whatever it was. Fast forward now to when our marriage actually fell apart. She was pregnant with our daughter. And I was done. I was ready to leave her. Went to family and friends for some advice, for some... Uh, support, I guess. Uh, it, I, I didn't really feel anyone understood or comprehended how I felt. Or Actually, to be fair, I, I didn't really feel like anyone cared how I felt. And I think that's what made me uh, maybe even more angry was not just that my marriage was falling apart, but that I felt I had no one. And the lack of understanding, I suppose, caused another significant reaction 
and that ended in me uh, filing for divorce. And, and that was that, you know. So when, when, it, when it comes to borderline personality disorder, and again, especially those with unmanaged BPD, that emotional dysregulation can become substantially more severe. And it extends way beyond this stereotypical teenage love, falling in and out of love that we've been talking about. It, it turns into every little aspect of life, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant a situation might be. Having these poorly regulated, non-traditional emotional responses to every situation that uh, they find themselves in. As, as an example, kind of beyond this relationship thinking, one one recent example, I guess, for my own life that kind of comes to mind is is a car I had. And I, I honestly don't remember if I told you this story or not uh, previously. I guess it's one of the downsides of the year of silence is I've, I've kind of forgotten some of the stories that I've shared or haven't shared. Uh, but maybe we have some new listeners out there, so maybe the story will be new uh, to at least them, or at least, if nothing else, it'll be a refresher for, for some of you if you've already heard this story. But recently, a couple years ago, uh, probably four or five years ago now, this goes back a little ways, uh, the, the AC in this car stopped working in the back. And, and this, was in the, this is a three-row seat uh, SUV. All right, so the the AC vents in the third row stopped blowing out cold air. The very back seats, it it would just it would blow out hot air for some reason, and I I couldn't figure out why. Everything else with the car was good, and I got so mad at the fact that this was broken, like I'm, I'm talking about like actually mad at the car, like like it was the car's fault or something, even though everything else was fine. So I went in. Within probably a week of this happening, and I, I went in and, and traded the car in, I was I was done. And nobody even rode in the back seat. I never used the third row. This was an SUV with three rows, and it was just my daughter and I. That's it. The, the fact that there was no AC in that third row of seats was so insignificant, it just... But it was enough to make me so mad that I didn't want the car anymore. By the way, why why do you think I even had a three-row SUV if uh, it was just me and my daughter? You, you, you might be wondering that. You know what? I'm wondering too. Who the hell knows? I, I was mad at the car that I had before that. I, I'll tell you. I was mad at the car that I had before that third row SUV, all right, the car I had before that, I got mad at that car for some reason, and when I went to CarMax to get rid of that car and trade in, the only one that I found on the CarMax lot, which, by the way, that was the first dealership I went to, and only, first and only dealership I went to, the only car that they had there that I remotely liked was this, uh, it was a Dodge Journey, this SUV with three rows that I did not need, but that was the only one that they had that I liked on the one day in the one dealership that I went looking. That's it. Not a lot of thought went into any of these decisions, but that's that's my point. I was literally mad at the car that I went and did this 
because of an emotional response. Oh, speaking of cars, speaking of cars, I recently traded in my Dodge Charger, which is several cars after the uh, journey. Uh, I recently traded in that Charger gas guzzler for a Tesla. I bought a Tesla Model 3 about six weeks ago. Why? Because a coworker bought one and I liked it. Why else? I mean, <laughs> basically, I do save a lot of money on gas. I no longer have to purchase gas, and I love that about this car. But other than that, was it really a good choice? Was it really a wise decision that had a lot of thought and a lot of uh, a lot of reasons, I guess, that went into it? I don't know. Not not really. Probably not. The car makes me happy, though. I don't know. Whatever, right? You know, that's that's kind of how this works. All right. This emotional dysregulation can show itself in all kinds of different forms. It can show it could show up as uh, random bursts of anger or inexplicable crying. Um, it can affect our interactions with others because, you know, we might become accusatory for no real reason, suspicious of things, and that can be really damaging to relationships. And I'm not just talking about intimate relationships. I'm talking about friendships or family. Uh, it can cause uh, passive aggression. Uh, it could cause a desire to create conflict in an otherwise good relationship. So what happens is you end up in so many different bad relationships or bad situations that you don't know how to be comfortable in a good relationship when things are going well. So you kind of self-sabotage, you know, just for the sense of, I'm just going to try to poke and create some conflict here because things have been going smooth and I don't I don't really like that because I'm not used to that. You know, I live a turbulent turbulent uh, lifestyle. My relationships are always filled with turbulence. So I need to inject some conflict into this or maybe be passive aggressive or be angry for, for really no reason, you know, and I'm not even saying no valid reason. I'm just saying no reason. Like, why are you mad? I don't know. It's, that's just kind of how it is. You know, this, and, you know, to an extent here, this idea of emotional dysregulation is not really unique to those of us with borderline personality disorder. It's it's something that is just a part of human nature. It's something that all of us experience in some fashion in varying degrees. You know, you might be hearing some of these stories and maybe you can relate to some of them a little bit. You're kind of like listening to how I'm thinking and you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like that too, but I don't have this personality disorder, at least not that I know of, you know, that's maybe kind of where you're sitting there and maybe scratching your head, but I'm not saying that this idea of dysregulation is unique to people with BPD. This is this is something that extends to all of humanity. The reason I talk about it in the context of BPD is because I think because it's so prominent that um, I think because it's so prominent with people with BPD, as you learn to manage that condition over time, which I, I 
believe, sitting here today talking to you, I believe that I'm a success story with this, at least to some extent. Hence this podcast, you know, that's the creation of Third Degree Mind is because I like to share some strategies and some ideas that I've come up with that that kind of help me with how I try to achieve emotional stability and, and ultimately achieving peace. You know, that's kind of what we all want in, in life. We don't want this, this turbulence uh, and this uh, dysregulated uh, emotions. So... Let me let me get back kind of here to to what I was actually trying to talk about with this idea of owning and overcoming, you know, and this all has to do with emotional dysregulation, because one of the ways that emotional dysregulation is managed, one of the strategies that we use is to own and overcome. When we experience these intense emotions or these, you know, mood swings, as some people may call it, uh, emotional reactions that are not not really acceptable for a given situation, we have to learn to own and overcome. And a lot of times that's, for people without BPD, that's just a process of growing up. You know, we, we talked about the teenager, the, the teenage love story and stuff like that, the constant in and out of relationships. And, and a part of growing up and maturing for that person is learning to uh, regulate themselves and, and kind of control their emotions. And, and that starts with owning. Uh, it starts with owning that emotion. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that first part, owning. You have to own it. It's your emotion. It's your emotional response. It's your reaction. It's your behavior. One of the hardest things for us to do sometimes, whether you live with BPD or not, one of the hardest things for us to do is to recognize that your emotions are your own. Period. That's something... That I know I've emphasized to you guys before, before this year of silence. But I really want to make sure that I drive this point home. And that's why I keep bringing it up. And because because we've all spent a year in silence. And you haven't heard me talk about owning your emotions during that time. I don't know if maybe your emotions have gotten out of control because you haven't had the opportunity to listen to me kind of lecture you on this idea. But that's why I'm talking about it now. And I'll continue to bring it up as a focal point on this program because I think it's just that important. Your emotions are your own. Always, always, always remember that. Sometimes when we get angry with someone, you know, we we blame that person. We blame our anger on that person. You made me so mad. Statements like that fail to acknowledge our own responsibility with our own emotions. Blaming someone else for how we feel turns us into victims, and, and we don't want to be victims. Something you should think about too here is that 
you you want your emotions to be your own. I don't want my emotions to belong to someone else. I don't want to have another person empowered to control my emotions like that. My emotions are my own. And when you start to recognize that and and you try to manage some of this emotional dysregulation, if I could talk, uh, when we try to manage some of this emotional dysregulation, it becomes really important that we identify uh, we identify as emotional beings, that we recognize that we have these emotions and that we, we learn to own them and we take, we take responsibility for them. Those, those emotions belong to me. It's like my possessions. And I, and I don't want to... I was going to say I don't want to share, like they're my personal possessions, but I don't want to come across as saying that you don't want to share your emotions, like talk about your feelings. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... Your emotions will always belong to you and only to you. You are the one, you express those emotions and share them in that sense, but you don't share them in the sense that someone else has control over them and someone else can make you happy. And, you know, I mentioned uh, I mentioned when we blame someone else for our anger, we become victims. And it, it's kind of the same thing when you think about people that are desperately trying to find a relationship, because a lot of times they'll say things like, uh, I just want to find someone that makes me happy. So they're already, when they say that, they've already subconsciously admitted, number one, that they're not happy now, and number two, more importantly, that they're not capable of making themselves happy. If I need to find someone to make me happy, that means that I'm admitting that I'm not capable of being happy without that person. I need someone else to take control of my emotions for me and make me happy. And I know that's something we've definitely talked about before. An episode a while ago, uh, True Happiness, I think, it was actually one of the more popular podcast episodes i think to date it has uh one of the most downloads uh for all of our episodes here is true happiness so if you haven't listened to that one go back and listen to that because i talk about that and that and that's the idea that if you want to be happy you have to be happy yourself someone else isn't going to just come into your life and make you happy and i don't say that as a bad thing like a depressing or disappointing thing. I actually say it as a, a vote of encouragement that you are in control of your emotions. Your emotions belong to you. Nobody else is capable of making you happy or making you mad. Those are all things that we own within ourselves. Those are all things that we are responsible and accountable only to ourselves, how we feel. In these the, these situations of emotional dysregulation, or like I said, you know, I know a lot of people use the word the uh, phrase "mood swings." I, I don't always like to use that phrase, I, "mood swings," but that's maybe a little easier to say than uh, emotional dysregulation every time. So I'll, I'll use the word "mood swings." But when we have these mood swings, it's important that we own 
those emotions. It's important that we own those reactions, that we are accountable to that. I don't blame other people for those things because, again, that's when I become a victim. That's when I start to depend on other people to make me happy. You're never going to find true happiness if you depend on others for that. And once you take responsibility for your emotions and once you own all of those things, it becomes a lot easier to overcome. If I am in if I am responsible for my happiness and my anger, or if I am responsible for my depression, if I own that feeling, as as bad as that might sound, as hurtful as it might sound to, that I am responsible for my depression, if I accept that and I own it, that's the way to overcome it. I can't overcome something that I'm blaming on someone else. Overcoming is an active process, just like owning. But blaming, pushing blame, that's more passive. If I'm mad because she did something to me, then I'm not taking an active role in that anger, and therefore I can't take an active role in overcoming that anger and getting past it, because that's an active process. I have to first take that step, that active process of owning that anger. And once I've done that, then and only then can I actually overcome that anger. Because, again, part of owning is saying, this is mine. And if it's mine, I have control over it, right? That's the whole theory. That's the whole idea of owning and overcoming. So the overcoming side, then, is moving forward, learning from it. When I end up in that situation again, I can maybe react differently because I've already taken control of my feelings. So if this is now the third time I've had my heart broken, for example, I can, if I've overcome it before, I can own the pain this time. And I know how to grow from it because I've already done it once before. And that's the whole point. That's how we overcome these things. We overcome simply by owning. It's almost like a cycle. I can't overcome if I don't own, and I can't own if I don't overcome. It's, they, they work hand in hand. Well, I hope... I truly hope that uh, I didn't bore you with this. If you were a frequent listener before, and I know I've talked about this idea of owning and overcoming before, so I hope this wasn't a lot of repeat content for you. Um, I definitely know that even if you have heard me talk about this before, I know that it's been a year now, this year of silence, that we have not had the opportunity to talk. So, 
I figured I would remind you, if nothing else, remind you of the importance of owning your own emotions. Your emotions belong to you. And don't forget, the year of silence was for a specific purpose. In Greece, he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound of a whisper. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, I find that, <laughs> I find that so funny. But anyways, thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for listening to Third Degree Mind, and I will talk to you again soon. Don't forget to like us, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, Third Degree Mind. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple iTunes, uh, Apple iTunes store, uh, thirddegreemind.podbean.com is another web is another place that you could subscribe or castbox.fm just go to castbox.fm type in third degree mind you can subscribe right there that way you won't miss any of our future episodes you'll always be uh, in the know when there is a uh, new content produced once again thank you for listening i appreciate everything that you guys do for me and i will talk to you again soon Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7.